You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Yoga has a bit of a PR problem. What I mean by this is most people think they know what the word yoga means, and most of them are wrong. Even many yoga teachers don't really understand the big picture intentions behind the practices. For example, you'll hear a lot of yoga teachers say that yoga is about yoking or connecting body, mind, and spirit. But the system of yoga views the body and mind as the same thing, and that the body-mind is already inextricably interwoven with spirit. The actual yoga is more about returning and remembering. It's about accessing an experience of our true selves, the truth of who we are, that already exists and has always existed. But at least most yoga teachers do understand that yoga is about more than asana, even if they don't always make that clear inside their classes. The general public, on the other hand, tend to have an extremely distorted view of what yoga means and is and is about. And this leads to some of them to pursue yoga in a really distorted manner and others to avoid it altogether. And let's be honest here, a lot of yoga teachers are contributing to this problem with the way that they market and talk about their classes and even what they teach inside their classes. In this episode, I want to address some of these misconceptions, especially the ones that prevent people from trying yoga, and also talk about how we as yoga teachers can be part of the solution. The general public tends to have one of four misconceptions about yoga that prevent them from trying it. And sometimes I call these objections. These are the reasons they object to themselves trying yoga. Number one, it's all about fitness or flexibility. So sometimes this actually draws people in, but draws them into practice in a way that doesn't actually harness the true potential of the practice. Number two, it's a wellness modality and it's designed to reduce stress. Well, this is kind of getting a little bit more in the right direction, but it's kind of missing some of the major points of the yoga perspective and, and what it's capable of. Number three, it's derived from an Eastern religion, which is true, but that part can be dropped so you receive the benefits without conflicting with your faith. That starts to get a lot murkier, and I'll go into more detail about this later. Or number four, most extreme, it's an Eastern religion that opens you up to demonic possession. All right, that last one is pretty fringe, most people I talk to have one or a combination of the first three ideas about yoga. It's mostly about fitness or flexibility, the body. It's mostly about wellness or stress reduction. And or you can drop the Eastern religious part of it and just focus on the physical benefits. Those are the three misconceptions that I want to address today. The idea of yoga being about fitness or flexibility or both is probably the most common misunderstanding. I believe part of this is because the physical postures of yoga are the easiest part of the practice for us to understand and to see. Humans are really visually oriented. In fact, 50% of our brain is devoted to vision. So as a rule, we take in visual information much more quickly than any other type of information. 
So anytime we see a photo, symbol, or illustration that depicts yoga asana, it's subconsciously getting added to our bank of things we know or think we know. Now consider how corporations have co-opted yoga as a shorthand for health, vitality, well-being, and fitness to sell everything from cars to clothing. Consider what kind of content also tends to get attention on social media. And it's no wonder that most people think yoga is about fitness or flexibility or both. They've been exposed to probably thousands, if not millions of images over the past decade or two, implying this without actually saying it. Because it's not said explicitly, it's only implied, that also means they haven't had any cues to question the assumption. It's happening primarily beneath the level of conscious awareness. Yoga as a practice is actually about devotion to truth and understanding, even in the face of discomfort. And part of being a practitioner is to train yourself to identify these unexamined assumptions and question them. And this is a huge part of what I love about yoga. It's a big part of why I've stuck with it for so long, even while questioning and examining my role in the cultural appropriation of the practice. There just aren't any Western traditions I know of that encourage examining your thoughts and questioning the version of reality that you've been taught in this way. The human brain, my brain, your brain, all of our brain, loves assumptions. Let me unpack what I mean by this. Our brain is really resource intensive. Even though it takes up about 2% of our body weight, it receives about 20% of our energy use. Cognitive psychologist Daniel Kahneman describes two main modes of thinking in his 2011 book, Thinking Fast and Slow. The fast type of thinking happens when we react quickly to danger, follow habits, and make intuitive leaps. The slow type of thinking is the type we engage in when we're learning a new skill, deliberately evaluating opportunities, and solving complex problems. That first, faster and more intuitive type of thinking is much more efficient. If we spent all of our time with the second type of thinking, the slower type, we wouldn't get hardly anything done in a day. And we also may not move quickly enough to save our own lives in an emergency. So our brains tend to prioritize the fast type of thinking, both because it is more efficient and also safer to do that. Unfortunately, the fast type of thinking makes a lot of mistakes. Here's an example from Kahneman's book. A baseball bat and a ball cost $1.10. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? I'll give you a second. Most people have the initial answer of 10 cents, but if that was you, if that was the answer your brain came up with, your fast system, your intuitive system tricked you. Do the math again, and if you really think through it slowly, you'll realize that the ball has to cost five cents, because then if the bat costs $1 more, it's 105, which plus five, is $1.10. Isn't that interesting? I definitely made that same mistake when I did this exercise. The first time you try to solve the problem, you use fast thinking. When I told you it was wrong, you may have hopefully went back through and used your slow analytical thinking as a backup. Your brain tends to call on the first system, on the fast thinking, if a problem appears simple at first glance. But 
problems are not always as simple as they appear. So what does this have to do with yoga and the public perception of yoga? Well, most people have lots of tasks, responsibilities, and concerns in their life that don't have anything to do with yoga. And it's probably accurate to assume that most of these people rarely, if ever, think about yoga at all unless they see something related to it. And most of what they see is images that imply things about yoga without presenting it as something that's important enough or complex enough to think critically about. So most people develop these general assumptions about yoga, then they get reinforced again and again without any reason to dig deeper. That's the state of things. But it's a shame because most humans are desperately in need of a technology for questioning their thoughts and assumptions and accessing their inner resources. As yoga teachers, I believe it's our responsibility to, to help rewrite the current narratives about yoga. And the great news is that most people are actually very open to hearing that's, that there's more to yoga than handstand and lotus. And a lot of them are going to actually be more interested in the deeper, more subtle effects of yoga than they are the physical ones. I know that some yoga teachers feel disheartened or intimidated when they hear some of the common objections and misconceptions that the public has about yoga. But I hope that after listening to this episode, you feel the opposite. When a client or potential client shares a misconception or an objection with you, that's an exciting opportunity. It's a chance for you to share what yoga is really about to somebody who is interested enough to engage in the conversation. Here's my basic recommendation for how to approach these conversations. They usually start with an offhand comment rather than some kind of definitive statement. So begin by asking clarifying questions, then reflect what you're hearing back to them to make sure that you're getting it right. After you've done that and you feel like you understand what they currently believe, empathize with them, and communicate that you understand where they're coming from and why they might think or feel that way. Then finally share your understanding of yoga in words that you believe they'll be able to understand and relate to. It's really helpful to approach these conversations from a place of curiosity and even excitement. We're not trying to evangelize. We're not trying to convince. Instead, We just encountered a chance to talk about something we love and share what we love about it. Here's an example that I shared with a yoga teacher who reached out to me asking a similar question. They originally said, how do you go about talking to clients who contact you interested in your services, but then just say, oh, I'm not fit or flexible enough. I had someone contact me recently about privates But then they say they've only done it once and are very unfit. And it kind of stumped me about the right way to go about connecting with that person. And here's what I wrote back. When somebody says something like that, this is an opportunity for you to help dispel some of the myths and make yoga more accessible. Here's an example of something that you can say, and you can use this as a script if that would be helpful or come up with your own version. So it sounds like you might be having some doubts about whether or not you're capable of doing yoga. Am I understanding that right? Assuming they say yes, I'd respond, I understand having that concern. Many of my students have had similar worries before working with me. The good news is that yoga is fully ready to meet you exactly where you are. There are zero expectations about who you need to be 
before you start the practice. And I'd be delighted to work with you to help you find the right practices that you're ready for now and also support you to progress and grow as you're ready. You can definitely come up with your own version and use your own words, but feel free to memorize that and use it as a script until you feel comfortable creating your own version. So what about people who come to you and say something like, I'd really like to focus on my flexibility. Do you think yoga could help? This is trickier because first of all, yeah, yoga might help. And we also know flexibility is not the goal of yoga. I think there's two options here, actually probably more than two, but two that I'm thinking of. Option one is to say something like, yeah, I think yoga could definitely help you become more flexible and a whole lot more. Many people start practicing because they have a physical goal like flexibility, but end up finding that physical progress is actually a side effect to the other changes that it makes in the brain and the nervous system. If you'd like to try the whole package, I'd be happy to help. That way you've established that the type of yoga you teach is about more than the physical and also planted a few seeds about what yoga is about that you can elaborate on and nurture over time. Option two is to say something like, I can certainly help you work on your flexibility if that's your goal. Yoga is actually more about training your brain and your nervous system than physical goals like flexibility. And if you'd like to work on both, I can teach you yoga. If you're only interested in flexibility training, I can do sessions with you to help that. And in that case, we would do exercises influenced by yoga, but also incorporate other modalities depending on what would work best for your body. Option one sets the boundary that what you teach is yoga and flexibility will not be your primary focus. Option two allows you to take on clients who have purely physical goals by separating your role between yoga teacher and movement teacher. I mean, it's okay for you to do both. It's okay for you to be a movement teacher sometimes and a yoga teacher other times. And what's best for yoga as a whole is when you're clear about that distinction. Option two also gives your potential client a choice for how they wanna approach your time together. If someone wants to focus on physical outcomes, help them as a movement teacher. Some people may over time become curious about the other things that you do, and this could end up sparking a dialogue about what yoga means to you. And you'll have a lot better chance of having the opportunity to share more about what yoga is when you're in relationship with somebody. Because it's probably going to come up naturally during your movement sessions, and it may lead them to ask for yoga as well. Here's what I think is important about both of these options. First, they're honest and upfront about what yoga is and isn't about. Second, both options offer agency to the student and allow them to make an informed decision. You're not doing a bait and switch, i.e. give them what you, they want so that you can give them what they need. I think that approach is a bit top down and it can actually reinforce some of the myths and misunderstandings about yoga. It's not about get people to yoga at any cost. It's about share what yoga is really about and give people the opportunity to opt in or opt out. Before I wrap up for today, I'll briefly touch on that third misconception, the one about religion. This is the most delicate of the three because anyone worried about a conflict with their faith must care very much about it. Before you begin a conversation about yoga and faith, get really clear about your intentions. 
Don't do it. Don't even engage in this conversation in order to gain a new client or convince anyone of anything. Instead, take on the task of really listening and understanding where their concerns are coming from and the goal of portraying yoga as accurately as possible. This is a huge opportunity to engage in your own practice. You're going to stick to the truth as you understand it and let go of trying to control the outcome of the conversation. Ask more questions than you make statements. Wait for them to ask you questions. That's when you know you're on the right track. Yoga comes from a tradition that includes both religions and philosophies. And one major difference between yoga and most of the religions that worry about yoga conflicting with it is that there's no belief required. Yoga invites inquiry with an open mind rather than belief. If the person you're talking to believes that inquiry with an open mind is dangerous, there's probably nothing you can say in the moment to convince them otherwise. However, people do evolve their beliefs over time. So seeds that you plant now could bear fruit later on. Stay as focused as you can on your own practice. Stay centered in the here and now and use compassionate eyes to see the human being in front of you. Wish them well and also allow them agency in their own beliefs. The practice of yoga is a sometimes uncomfortable mixture of taking the actions you know to be right without trying to micromanage the outcomes of those actions. It's a lifetime of practice or maybe more, but it's so worth it. As yoga teachers, let's be part of the solution of sharing a more accurate depiction of what it means to practice yoga. I'm not sure what will come of it, but I do believe it's the right thing to do. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring enough to teach yoga. And thank you for engaging in the full spectrum of the practice and sharing that to the best of your ability with the people in your world.